You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. Jesus will calm the storms of your life is not the lesson that I want you to take away from today's gospel reading. Let's get that kind of out of the way early on. You have probably all heard that message preached before if you've been a Christian for a while. Uh, It's just too tempting. You know, Jesus' disciples are in a storm and then Jesus makes it all better. Therefore, Jesus will do the same for us. But it's kind of sloppy Bible interpretation. You see, the disciples were not in a figurative storm. They were in a literal storm. And they did not have figurative waves and wind crashing against them. They had actual wind and waves crashing against them. So let's start there. The Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. It is a freshwater lake. Of course, it is still there today. It is 21 kilometers long and 13 kilometers wide. And it has a maximum depth of over 40 meters. Or for those of us who think in feet, it's about 140 feet deep. I don't know about you, but I get nervous when I know that a body of water is uh, deep enough to cover my head. And I'm six feet tall, so this body of water, the Sea of Galilee, is tall enough to cover me 23 times over. Now, Jesus' friends, they were not landlubbers. They were experienced boatmen. They were fishermen, most of them. They had seen all weather conditions. They had seen all sorts of sea conditions. So they would not have been easily scared. It was already getting dark when Jesus decided that he wanted to cross the lake to the other side. The disciples did as their teacher requested them, and they set off. After a full day of dealing with crowds and teaching and uh, all of the people pressing in, Jesus must have been very exhausted. So as soon as he got into the boat, he sort of collapsed and fell asleep in the back of the boat. Then comes this storm and the wind. Wind creates waves. Waves begin to crash over the sides of the boats. And Mark, the Gospel of Mark author, he gives us this additional detail that the boats were taking on water. They were beginning to fill up. The one thing that you don't want to see in a boat is water. Most of us know that. That is never a good sign. It's not a fun place to be, I think. It's dark. The boats are being tossed around. More and more water is in the boat. And you know that there's enough water underneath you to cover your head 20 times over. If the boats go down, swimming is not really an option. They did not have, of course, they did not have life jackets back then. 
Swimming would not have been an option either. They had to swim several kilometers to get to the shore, and that's not very easy to do in rough waves, even for the best swimmer. The ancient people feared the sea very greatly. To them, the sea represented chaos. It represented the abyss. It was a scary place. I grew up next to some large freshwater bodies myself, some of the largest in the world. People tend to think only the ocean is dangerous, but that's not true. Soon I will be moving back to a place that has large freshwater. The town I'm moving to to serve this new church, Boyne City, it's on the shore of a lake called Lake Charlevoix. Lake Charlevoix is smaller than the Sea of Galilee. It's about one-third the size of the Sea of Galilee, but it's still a big lake. It's 21 kilometers long and four kilometers wide. It's about as deep as the Sea of Galilee as well. But this lake, Lake Charlevoix, drains into a much larger lake, Lake Michigan. That lake is big, nearly 500 kilometers long and 200 kilometers wide. If you put the Sea of Galilee on top of that lake, which is the lake I grew up next to, you could fit 350 seas of Galilee on top of this lake. It's very large. So I've been around it, and I can see what can happen in bad weather. So in the midst of this, big waves, big wind. Then comes the question, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That is quite a question. In fact, the other gospel authors, Luke and Matthew, decided to soften the tone of that a little bit. But Mark gives us the raw version. Don't you care? I can just hear the frustration in their voice. They're doing everything that they can to keep the the boat floating. They're trying to uh, get the water out of the boat, I'm sure. The wind and the waves, the darkness closing in. Darkness makes everything more scary. And somehow Jesus is just asleep. You know, sometimes our body language makes it look like we don't care when we actually do. Uh, This is something that's happened throughout my entire marriage. Jean will be talking to me, and then I yawn sometimes. And then she'll say, are you listening to me? I guess this is too boring for you. Now, I always try to tell her, I cannot control when I yawn. It's like a body function. It just happens. When your brain says you have to yawn, then you yawn. I'm one of those people that uh, it's very contagious for me. If I read the word yawn on a page, I will yawn. But she always reads this as lack of concern, lack of care, that I'd rather be asleep than talking with her. So the disciples misinterpreted Jesus being asleep with Jesus not caring and not being concerned that they may die in the boat. And we often misunderstand God as well. 
We often think because he is not acting right now in the way that we thought he may, that he does not care. Lack of action means lack of concern, or at least we think. But we are totally mistaken. Jesus never gave a verbal answer to their question, their accusation, really, of not caring. Instead, he did something. Not to fix the problem, he did something to show that they never should have been worried in the first place. He did something to show how wrong-headed their question actually was. He commanded the wind and the waves to stop. Actually, it says he rebuked them. It's the same word they use when Jesus is dealing with a demon and telling it to be quiet and leave. He commanded nature to obey, and it did immediately. Have you ever been to a pool or a small pond or a small lake that is is completely still? Even no insect is landing on it. The waters are not moving at all. It's so still that if you were to throw a pebble in the middle, you would see the rings go completely out to the shore on all sides. That's how calm the Sea of Galilee became when Jesus commanded it. A true miracle. You know, sure, he made the wind stop, but, you know, wind is a funny thing. The wind kicks up and the wind dies down a lot. We never really know why. But to go from rough seas to complete calm in an instant is utterly impossible. Just try this at home. Uh, Fill your bathtub with water and slosh the water around a little bit and then watch how long it takes that water to stop moving. It takes a very long time. Even if the wind stops, the water continues to move. So just imagine that. It happened for Jesus with just one word. Peace. Be still. And now Jesus has a question for them. His question shows us that fear is the opposite of faith. Why so afraid? Jesus asks. Still no faith? Jesus did not answer their question. And then actually the disciples also did not answer Jesus' question as well. But instead they asked a third question. And this actually is the most important question. They said, who then is this? That last question is the most important one. Inside this boat, we have something that kind of represents the entire relationship between God and mankind. It's being played out. God and man are there in the boat together. God's been there all along, but man fails to recognize that God is with him. Instead, man tries frantically to uh, keep himself above water. Then man blames God for not helping, blames God for not caring. God wakes up, proves who he is, and if man sees, he stands back and says, Whoa, who is this? The answer to that question, of course, is that this is Jesus, Messiah, Savior of the world. 
Does he care that we are perishing? Do you see the irony of that question? Of course he does. That's why he came to earth. That's why he lived. That's why he died. To save those who were perishing in their sins. That we would be saved. I cannot say that Jesus will calm every storm in your life. That isn't why he came and lived and died. In fact, every one of those disciples except for John, ended up dying for their faith, ended up having their lives shortened because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus does not save us from every cross. He does not save us from every bit of suffering. But everyone in that boat did make it to shore So if I can still be a little bit figurative, I would say Jesus does not calm every storm, but he has promised to safely deliver you to the shore. He has promised that whether it's a deliverance in this life with healing or whether it's bringing you into the life to come to make it to those calm and safe shores. I was nervous this week, as you know. I was thinking of worst-case scenarios. That's just kind of how I am, how I'm wired. On Monday, I took our two daughters, Annalise and Elsie, to the park. And Jean said, Jean was still at home, she said she was feeling a little bit better. Maybe she would walk to the park with us. Now, technically, her doctor had ordered her to stay in bed already now for that last week. So she was preparing to go into the hospital just one day later to give birth. And I knew I should say, Jean, don't come to the park. Lay down, stay at home. That's what you should be doing. But I was selfish. I said, if you feel okay today, please come. I said, this may be the last day together I have with you. If something goes wrong, I want to see you as much as I can today. My mother heard me say that. My mother said, don't say that. How can you say that? But I said, it's the truth. Surgery is always risky. You never know what can happen. And my mother said, I know, but you don't say it. And then I wondered for a moment, what would happen to my faith if the worst did happen? What if I was left with two children? What if I was left with four children to raise alone? Would my faith weather that storm? There's one thing I'm certain of. I know this. I would cry out to God and I would accuse him of being asleep in the stern of the boat. But even then, after grief, after shock, I'd have to say, it is well with my soul. No matter the suffering we may endure, there's someone who's suffered more. And no one suffered more or endured more than Jesus because of the injustice of it. Living perfectly and then still being executed. Receiving the punishment that we were owed. Thankfully, and I truly, truly give thanks to God that my faith received no such test this week. 
Jean did end up actually in surgery longer than I expected. Um, I was in there for the beginning of the surgery and when the boys were delivered. And then after a while, they said, okay, go out now and go into the waiting room. And I remembered from two years ago exactly how long it should take. And then it was longer and longer and longer. And I started to wonder, what are they doing in there? And I was looking at the little TV screen that said who was in the operating room. You know, it's funny for us foreigners. Uh, uh, for privacy purposes, you know, Korean names have three characters and they put a little asterisk over one of them to cover it up so that you're anonymous. But us foreigners, we have long names, you know, but the, the computer program still only covers one letter, you know, so it says J asterisk A-N Hoffman, you know, the whole name is there, just covers that second letter in her first name. So I, I see G A, you know, G asterisk A-N Hoffman is in this room and, and she's still there and still there and still there. Finally, the doctor comes out and says, everything's okay. There was some damage from the first surgery two years ago that we had to repair, but everything's going to be okay. And I was so thankful when she was wheeled back to her room and much more thankful as well when the two boys arrived, Joshua and Christian. And if they're anything like their sisters, they will give me plenty of storms as well, stormy seas. But I know that they will have faith like their sisters as well because I'm going to baptize them here. And daily we go to God, daily we hear those words of comfort. So the meaning of the story this morning is Jesus is God. That's the takeaway. Only God can control creation, and God died for you. The Son of God gave His life for you. The question is, have you believed? Have you heard? Have you responded? Have you been washed in the waters of baptism? Have you received the body and blood of our Lord at this altar? Have you said to yourself, who then is this? And have you answered, He is the Son of God? And through this faith, have you been saved? And have you trusted in Him? I pray that you have. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.